Production and distribution of City Club forums on IdeaStream are made possible by the generous support of PNC, the Chautauqua Institution, and the United Black Fund of Greater Cleveland Incorporated. Hello and welcome to the City Club of Cleveland, where we are devoted to conversations of consequence that help democracy thrive. I'm Dan Malthrop. I'm the chief executive here and a proud member. Today's September 4th. You're with a virtual City Club forum live from the studios of 90.3 WCPN IdeaStream. They are our public media partner, and we're very grateful and appreciative of their partnership. For the past decade or even longer, media advocates and media consumers have been lamenting the death of the newspaper and confronting the very real challenges for communities and for democracy when local news organizations disappear. We've heard this at the City Club. Last November, some of you will remember Steve Waldman of Report for America talking about the public corruption that can happen in plain sight when journalists aren't around to cover public agencies. For more than a century, communities across the country were fortunate to have their news production paid for, for the most part, by advertisers. The challenges facing legacy local media are largely business challenges. There's still an audience hungry for news. There are still journalists who want to cover the news. It's just that the old business model no longer works as well as it used to. And though this disruption is as old as the Internet, or at least as old as Craigslist, we are just beginning to see what might emerge to replace legacy local media. Across the country, there are hundreds of new nonprofit media companies that didn't exist five or ten or even two years ago. Here in Ohio, we've got the Cleveland Documenters, The Real Deal, The Land, Eye on Ohio, Buckeye Flame, and Mahoning Matters, to name a few. There are probably many others I don't know about. So today, we're going to talk with Karen Runlett. She's Director of Journalism at the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, and John Thornton. He's the founder of the Texas Tribune, one of the largest local news organizations around, and also co-founder of the American Journalism Project, a venture philanthropy firm, which is dedicated to starting and growing local news organizations. I want to mention today, too, that uh, our forum is the final event of Cleveland Foundation's annual meeting week. This is the Robert D. Grease keynote lecture, which in an ordinary non-COVID year would have happened on stage in front of about a thousand people or so, probably more, in the middle, right in the middle of the Cleveland Foundation's annual meeting. And at any rate, we are delighted to host this event for our community. For more information about all the events of Cleveland Foundation's annual meeting week and their sponsor, please visit clevelandfoundation.org. Now to Karen Runlett and John Thornton. If you have a question for them, you can participate with your. Uh, you can participate by texting a question to three three zero five four one five seven nine four. That's three three zero five four one five seven nine four. And if you're on Twitter, please join us. Uh, please join us by tweeting at the City Club. We'll work your question in. Karen Runlet and John Thornton, welcome to the City Club of Cleveland. It is great Thank to you have you both. You. Um, I want to make sure you uh, unmute your microphones on the live stream on your computers. There you go. Now we're all set. Karen Runlet, I want to start with you. Um, I kind of framed it up in the in the introduction, but is this a time of optimism for somebody like you who is looking out across the entire country at all of these experiments, or are you anguished? How are you feeling? I'm feeling all of that, frankly. Um, I do want to just start by saying um, to any journalist who is listening, thank you, really, for providing accurate information um, in a time where people have needed food. They've needed information about unemployment. They've needed um, information about healthcare. So thank you for that service. Um, I and 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 just 
in terms of how I'm feeling, I, of course, I am optimistic. I am seeing some exciting models out there um, that are giving me great hope. But I am very concerned. I am up at night. We are all up at night working, uh, uh, you know, worrying about misinformed communities and uninformed communities. And there, make no mistake, there is an army of people working right now on the internet to misinform communities. And that's very dangerous. And as we are losing local journalists, we're seeing them have more power. John Thornton, how are you feeling when you look at the landscape of struggling legacy media organizations and these emerging ones that are still trying to take root? Um, schizophrenic, uh, as, as Karen said, sort of feel all of the above. The, there's no doubt, as, as you pointed out at the top, and, and Northeast Ohio is a really interesting spot right now, that there are uh, many, many very entrepreneurial, uh, almost exclusively nonprofit news organizations starting up to fill the gap in local news. I think I feel most optimistic when I feel like there is a real sort of momentum building in a movement toward understanding that these need to be civic rather than commercial institutions because the the trouble we got into in in our mind is largely because a long time ago the United States made a deal with commercial media that uh, was fine for the the shareholders and owners of commercial media properties at the local level it wasn't as it turns out terrific for society at large and and was really not very good at all for equity in society at large and so uh, oddly, the days that I'm feeling most optimistic are the days when I feel like people have finally realized that, at least at the local level, the, the jig is sort of up in commercial media. Can you say a little bit more about what you mean by that? Because I know that, that all of us have friends who have worked in commercial media um, who would say, hey, we've been doing public service for a long time. And, John, you're saying that, that we haven't been well served for the last century. Well, and it's, it's, it's very important to distinguish between the people working in local media who are some of the finest public servants um, I know and who are some of the most public-spirited people I know and the institutional construct, which has been commercial local media most prominently represented by the newspaper industry. As, as you pointed out, um, advertising has been kind of the whole deal, and it's it's in retrospect, at least for me, a little embarrassing to realize that since the 1830s, we have uh, made a big bet as a democracy on advertising uh, because we talk about a free press in the fourth estate and we talk a lot about the First Amendment in which the, the lack of interference uh, in the pr free press is called out. The problem with the First Amendment is Brother Madison didn't give us any clues about how to fund that free and independent press. And so we, we made a choice in the early 1800s that it was largely going to be advertising. That served us kind of okay well uh, through, through the years in informing a general populace to a reasonable level. It did not serve us in informing the country equitably at all because if you think about the sort of social contract that was established, it was established before the Civil War. And so, so I really do want to make a dis distinction between the uh, very good to often heroic, and particularly in, the, in, in the, the current moment, the heroic work being done all over the local news ecosystem, 
but that doesn't um, that that unfortunately doesn't solve for the fact that the commercial model is broken if what we're really optimizing for is an informed public. John Thornton is the uh, founder of the Texas Tribune, also co-founder of the American Journalism Project. And John, I'll ask you to talk about what the AJP is in, in a little bit. Uh, Karen Runlet with the Knight Foundation. I want to make sure that we spend some time talking about specifically what these new emerging forms of um, journalistic enterprise are actually looking like and how they are similar and how they're different from the traditional media that um, that middle-aged guys like me like grew up with a, a newspaper and comics and stuff like that while I ate my cereal. Um, so what are we what are we actually talking about? Tell us, uh, tell us. I mean, some people will be familiar with some of the the local ones that I mentioned at the top, but but I think many aren't. So I think um, you know about a decade ago, a little over a decade ago, there was a recession, and there were a lot of journalists who lost their jobs, and they knew how important this work was. And some of them, many of them, started new organizations. Um, the Texas Tribune is one of the the early ones, but of course there was there was nonprofit media before the Texas Tribune, um, the public media and um, or other national organizations, but local organizations um, started popping up slowly but surely in building. Now there are hundreds of them. So in the early days, about a decade ago, it was an experiment. Today, with hundreds of them, Knight Foundation is really trying to think about how to supercharge them and invest invest in the things that will take them to towards long-term sustainability you know john just said very much that advertising it costs money to do this work it costs money to report to file public records requests to take the time to interrogate public officials and to be informed before you interrogate public officials you don't just get out there and say, why, why, why? You need to have the detail and the reporting, and it takes time and money and investment to do that. So the, the, the great things that we're seeing, we're seeing a real focus on putting community at the center of this. What does the public need? What does the public want? What is the value that you are generating for the public? So, you know, I point to an organization like Outlier Media, for instance, they did research. They're in Detroit. They wanted to know where Detroit's population was getting their information. And they realized there were two places. There was television and there was text messaging. So they decided to create a text messaging service that answers questions. People during COVID were writing them questions like, what can I get out of my kitchen cabinet to, um, what can I get out of my kitchen cabinet to, co to concoct so that I don't get COVID? Those are the kinds of questions that were coming in. And every person that wrote in got an answer, a fact-based answer from a journalist. And, and were those, they would, were, would they then distribute those answers broadly to, the, to everybody that had a text, a text number for? What they would do then is they would identify the trends from that and turn that into reporting, which was shared with multiple organizations within Detroit. So it was serving just a one-to-one, -one, and then it was lifted to serve a whole community. That's really, um, that's, that's fascinating. How many people are they connected with? So at first it was hundreds, and now it's hundreds a day. 
So it, it, during the time of the pandemic, it has multiplied. That's amazing. John Thornton, um, explain the American Journalism Project, uh, what it is, how much money is involved, what you're investing in. Sure. The idea behind the American Journalism Project, there were sort of three founding premises. The, the first was, is the interdependence of journalism and democracy, particularly at the local level. The second is that we believe that local journalism is a public good, and what that means is that the market left to its own devices won't make enough of it. Uh, and then the third is that we believe that this, this problem that the market failure presents is, is what we call a we the people problem. It, it's not something that's going to be solved by uh, uh, commerce, and it's not something, at least in the near term, that's going to be solved by any form of government. And so what AJP was conceived of as is, is a sort of force multiplier in trying to, to help build a public service media which is sustained by, governed by, and looks like the public it serves. And that, that has a number of components, most of them to do, no big shocker, with money. Um, we, we have raised a little under $50 million that, that, the, that we intend to now grant to organizations like Outlier Media and Texas Tribune and, and others to, to really build some examples of economically sustainable local news organizations that are not reliant uh, on or, or not, um, not focused on commerce or not focused on, pro, uh, on profit and are exclusively focused on this notion of public service. And so that means reorienting the, the individual component of this from the reader that pays a subscription to a member who does this as a part of uh, the community. It reorients the corporate participation from a very transaction-driven advertiser to a, uh, an underwriter or a sponsor who sees this as a community good. And, and most importantly, it really, what we're really trying to do is evangelize for the notion of journalism philanthropy, which we think needs to grow by an order of magnitude or so over the next five years. When you say uh, members, uh, when you say subscribers become member participants, do you mean that they are members, like I'm a member of a public radio station, say WCPN, just to pick one out of you know thin air, um, sure. or, <laughs> uh, or, are they, um, or are they member participants in that they are also helping to contribute to news generation? Um, more, more the former. Mm -hmm. um, certainly there are, we were talking about before the show about the documenters program that has just launched in Cleveland and is, is I think Karen and I agree, one of the most exciting things going. And one of the, the things that documenters is doing so deftly is sort of rethinking the factors of production of journalism such that the, the participation circle is much, much wider and, and includes not just sort of uh, good government geeks, but people who are really disaffected and, and people who are doing this uh, so they have a voice and so they feel like they're doing, doing something constructive. M more, more broadly, though, it's the, the public radio analogy is, is apt because public media has been doing this for a long time and doing it very effectively. T to me, the, the real sort of undermarketed concept is this notion that in, in a democracy, um, as it turns out, what, what matters is not really that I'm particularly well informed. What matters is that 
the two of you are really well informed and that the rest of the people in the audience are really well informed. And so this notion of membership is, is in, in our mind, it's really speaking to that. I am safest, I am most secure, my family is safest and most secure if my neighbors are well informed. And so that's, that's a concept that we're it's, really, really trying to build some momentum behind. It's hard not to see the analogy with wearing a mask to protect your neighbors. It is hard not to see the analogy with wearing a mask. We're trying to pull little nuggets of goodness out of the current moment of nuttiness, and that's one. It's given us a metaphor. John Thornton is the co-founder of the American Journalism Project and the Texas Tribune. Karen Runlett of the Knight Foundation. Uh, John mentioned Cleveland Documenters. They've come up a couple of times. That's a project of City Bureau, uh, which uh, the leaders of, of, who, of which spoke at the City Club last year. But I think a lot of people still aren't familiar with the Documenters. And it's such an outside-the-box kind of project that it requires a little explanation. So what exactly are they doing? So what they're doing is they're partnering with community, they're partnering with the public, and they're saying, come with us, observe with us. You're trained and you're paid to go to public meetings and to listen well and to take notes and to lift themes that are valuable to the rest of community. And you're, you're also learning about um, your rights. So they're, they're teaching people acts of journalism, what that is. They're helping them provide information and, and, and take notes which are available and, and, and shared publicly. And so people are actually, actually listening and covering and, and, and using notes. And then those are shared with journalists and that informs the reporting of journalists. So what, what's amazing about it is regular people who have a deep interest in their community are participating and being compensated for this work. This reminds me of uh, when I first, around the time that I first moved to Greater Cleveland, and there was a, a newsletter that would go out of an inner ring suburb in Shaker Heights, um, and there it's a community of about 25,000 people, and every week there was a newsletter that would go out by a woman who's a former journalist. Her name was Jane Wood, and she passed away about, probably about 10 years ago or something, and she's deeply missed. But she would go to every public meeting in Shaker Heights and send out a newsletter once a week called This Week in Shaker. And here's what happened, and here's who voted which way, and what they discussed, and what was said that you might find noteworthy. And... Um, and there was no Shaker Heights didn't really have. I mean, it had like a little bit of a uh, some coverage from our legacy media, but it didn't have anybody who was giving it that kind of attention. And um, with 59 municipalities in Cuyahoga County alone, um, there's oh. a huge need, Karen. This is a that's a, an incredible project. And so um, so anyone can sign up. Anyone can say I want to do that, and they get paid. They get paid a, a, a reasonable wage for a few hours of their time. And, um, and that's how it works, essentially? And then we yes. all get smarter as a community? Is it that simple? Yes. Um, I mean, <laughs> it's, it's... And everybody gets rich. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. no, no that, wait, that, was the, that was the other the, one. That, yeah, 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 right. Right. You know, John, I want to come back to something you mentioned before about philanthropy needing philanthropy for journalism needing to increase by an order of magnitude. And I suspect that order of magnitude may be sort of 10x or something like that in order to actually achieve what we're talking about. Um, the journalism sector, even just the local journalism sector, is a large sector of the economy. And it, can it be replaced by philanthropy? 
Um, not entirely. Uh, if, if you think about just, just to have kind of uh, round numbers, the newspaper industry, e even though it's down now uh, probably 60% from its peak, is about a 20 or 25 billion dollar, the local newspaper uh, industry is about a 20 billion dollar industry in the United States. And, and so, but a lot of that obviously goes to printing newspapers and delivering them, and, a and, and the majority of that comes from advertisers. Our thesis is that with 5 or 10% of that money really, really, really well directed in extraordinarily focused uh, public service media enterprises, you're, you're pretty well covered, uh, and that, that's in the fullness of time. But if, if philanthropy is more like five or $600 million a year in journalism instead of 50 or 60 that it is today, that, that's, a bi that's a big cut out of that. And then the rest of it is going to need to come from uh, members and, and, and from corporate sponsorships. But, but, but I guess the answer is yes and no. No, philanthropy won't cover it entirely. What we really need is philanthropy to come alive in the context of this broader mindset shift from uh, commercial headset to civic uh, headset where, where we are, and I think this is really important, we're not committing journalism for the sake of journalism. We are committing journalism in service of building community, uh, which has been something that's been sort of tangential to commercial media uh, mission for a long time. But what Karen and I, I think, are arguing for is that that's center the plate of the mission for these organizations. If you're just joining us, you're with the City Club Friday Forum. I'm Dan Malthrop speaking with John Thornton, the co-founder of the American Journalism Project, and Karen Runlet of the Knight Foundation. Uh, that's the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation. And uh, today's forum is actually the Robert D. Grease uh, keynote lecture of the Cleveland Foundation annual meeting, which this week is an annual meeting week, and this is the final event of that. Um, Karen, the Knight Foundation, probably more than any other foundation and uh, a philanthropic organization in America, has been in investing in journalism projects for um, for a while and has in probably invested longer and more money than anybody else um, in the hopes that that would be a, an act of leadership and people would follow. Is that the case? Um, some have followed. Obviously, we want many more to. Um, that is um, something that... Um, it's challenging. I think there are a lot of wonderful causes out there, but I, I, I also think if there's not um, an, an, an accurate information piece, if you know, there are people who choose to, to support um, homelessness or hunger, but if there is not an actionable um, information piece, distributing information about those programs to community, people won't be able to take advantage of the things that you build to, to, to serve those programs. Um, to, to serve community. So I think that that's a part of what, of the role that journalists are, are playing. Um, we are in a pandemic. There is no vaccine. Accurate information is what has saved lives. Um, there are communities that weren't reached. Um, I happen to know in Detroit that, um, you know, where there were Spanish language uh, populations and there, there wasn't enough journalism or information reaching those communities and people were still gathering later than they should have been, later than the rest of the city, you know, was doing. So that was, that, that's a big problem. That ended up being a, a major health problem. So um, I, I, I would say that um, 
this is something that obviously we're trying to bring more funders towards. But yes, there are more more people interested in, in, in this today. And I think also people are, are really seeing, um, people know that misinformation is on their social media feeds and they know that it's coming out of their, their neighbors' mouths, frankly. If you have a question for Karen Runlet of the Knight Foundation or John Thornton of the American Journalism Project, please text it to 330-541-5794. That number again is 330-541-5794 to text your question for our City Club Friday Forum. If you're on Twitter, you can tweet it at the City Club, and we'll work questions from either, from either platform into our conversation here. John, when you began the work of the Texas Tribune um, as a sort of venture philanthropist, I think that's a, an accurate kind of description of your role there, um, and you had to recruit journalists to the cause, and you and my understanding of the founding is that you were trying to create a news platform that was devoted to politics, policy, and government, and nothing else, which stands in clear opposition to legacy media, which tries to be kind of omnibus information and, and probably gathers the most eyeballs through sports. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a- absolutely. The, 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 the thing that I scribbled out on a napkin. Was, was it really a napkin, John? I really, I think it, I think it was, <laughs> it probably had, it was beer soaked would be my guess. Um, the, but, but the, really the, the, the bumper sticker, if you will, was to help people in Texas make better decisions in their civic lives. And the, the mission has been expanded and embellished on over time, but I still kind of like that because it's, it, it was uh, very defining as much as in what the Tribune did not do as what it does do. Because what we found in the time since the Tribune was, was founded and all these other organizations have really uh, become uh, begun to hit their stride is this this realization that the entertainment the, the economics of entertainment are a particular sort of force in culture and in the economy and they sort of went out over time in commercial media models uh, uh, this notion of of the the public interest is nothing other than a sort of aggregation of things that the public is interested in at any given moment. Our paradigm is flips that on its head and says, okay, what topics, what civic topics, what important things to communities are not well served by the economics of entertainment? And, and these organizations, we fund them to go there because there is no market mechanism to cover those sorts of things. And so the the stripes that Karen was talking about, and, and if you think about the situation in Cleveland, whether you're thinking about access to um, uh, clean air or affordable housing or good education, if if any of those individually is your cause, our argument is that you're pretty well served to think about media surrounding those causes as your second cause. So. We're, we're, we are really cognizant of the fact, particularly in this moment, that there are lots and lots of incredibly, incredibly urgent and worthy causes uh, that, that, are, that people think of, of really core needs of a community. But we, we would argue that over the long term, if you take a slice of uh, all of those interest areas, and especially if, uh, as in the model that, that Karen and I, I think, try to support, especially if that information is, is 
equally accessible to everyone. And that's a really, really important point, and it's a really uh, important point of distinction from commercial media. Then all of these causes that 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 people are at the Cleveland Foundation annual meeting because they care dearly about those and because they care dearly about their community and understand that the market's not going to fix it. All those causes become easier to address if there's a, um, a commonly available, universally available information layer um, that, that begins to put those in context and knit them together. You know, I'm a former journalist and a former teacher. And so like I, what you say speaks to me, right? I get it that like journalism is the, it's the amplifier. Uh, for the for whatever issue you care about, it's going to matter more to more people if journalists are around. And City Club plays a similar role, right? We have the con- the public conversation, we convene the public dialogue um, that is necessary for an informed and engaged community. But do but I feel like I'm in the choir, right? And you're preaching to me. Like, do does the general public, Karen Runlet? Um, do they feel that as well? Do they feel it as deeply? And when, and I guess the way to, I don't know, is the, how, how are you measuring success? How are your grantees measuring success and engagement and whether or not they're actually doing what they've set out to do? Um, for, I do want to answer that. I, okay. I, I just, I also want to mention too, um, you asked about the general public. Yeah. So um, there are two women who live in uh, Glenville in, in Cleveland. Mm-hmm. Um, their names are Sh- Shirley and Jackie. We did some research and we were able to talk to them, the Knight Foundation in partnership with the Cleveland Foundation. And they are the problem solvers and the informants for their community. Um, if you have a problem, and it, we, we, we interviewed them and we met them at the time of the government shutdown, which was another very difficult time for a lot of people. And um, so if somebody's not getting a paycheck during that time, they go to Shirley and Jackie and they say, I don't have a paycheck. I need to figure out how to get um, the health services from my uncle who lives with me, who I take care of. And Shirley and Jackie connect them and to the information they need and to the people who can solve their problem. And these two women are doing that work and they are trusted. They may not be called journalists, but they are providing information and they're trusted in their communities. And when they heard, when they they hear about journalists, they don't believe that journalism is serving them in that way. They talked about countdown clocks on television, 12 days into the government shutdown. They talked about you know, they talked about sort of the, the, the fighting in Washington. That doesn't help their lives. So that was not valuable journalism. So I think that journalism is not the word that everybody gravitates to. But yeah, I think that I, this, is a, this is a wealthy country. And, um, and um, clean water is something that a lot of people take for granted here. That's not the case in a lot of other countries. I'm talking about clean, good, reliable information so you can manage your life. Karen Runlet is, uh, she runs the journalism programs at the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation. John Thornton is with us as well from the American Journalism Project and the Texas Tribune. There are speakers today at our City Club Friday Forum. It's time for your questions. If you have them, then uh, text us, 330-541-5794 is the number, 330-541-5794 to text your questions. Or if you're on Twitter, just tweet them at the City Club and we will work them in. Here's one. I've heard speculation that most news deserts are also philanthropy deserts. 
If that's the case, where will initial capital come from to launch new sites that can revivify the rapidly spreading news deserts? John Thornton. The, the, it's the hardest question that, that we have to answer. Uh, and so it, it, you, you, whoever the questioner is, you're, you're on the right issue. Um, and, and it goes to the heart of the conundrum we face as a country. And, and, and particularly, it's, it's, the answer to that question is, is kind of different than it was six months ago because, quite candidly, every place is about to be a news desert. Um, it, it, they're, they're, as, as, if you think about the fact that half by, by, by subscriber count, half of the newspapers in, in the country are about to be in the ownership of either a private equity fund or a hedge firm that, is, that has so much debt on those properties that they're not going to be able to cover them, they're essentially going into a state of self-liquidation. And so, so, so the idea of kind of this punctuated equilibrium of news deserts, I think, is going to be uh, uh, a, th a thing of the past pretty quickly. And so what we've got to figure out as a community, as a journalism philanthropy community to do is, uh, and I can't, I, can't, I can't go 30 minutes without making a sports analogy, but how, how do you play man-to-man -man defense or zone defense rather than man-to-man -man defense? We've got to spread the resources such that all of these communities get what we call minimum viable journalism and some level of support. But the, the, the bigger answer and the longer answer is we're hoping to start in places where there is some commercial base and, and some readership base and, and some, uh, something to sort of grab onto to build a nonprofit media property that can quickly then extend its capabilities and services to serve adjacent places that are not quite so uh, well endowed. In the fullness of time, I think we've got to have a discussion about expanding the scope of what we now call public media in this, in this country, because there, there are just always going to be places where the, resource, the resources don't exist to have the foundation of a just and equitable society, or one of them, which is that everybody is plus or minus informed at the same level on, on very basic civic issues. And so it's, it's both a matter of kind of framing the business problem in the short term and then thinking longer term about the, the trade-offs and choices that our society makes. Karen Runlet, the Akron Beacon Journal was one of a, the many Knight Foundation or Knight Brother papers and the, and the foundation remains committed to serving the communities where the money was made, um, essentially. Um, are, I don't know that any of those are news deserts now, but I know that you're looking even beyond those communities to national, to the, the sort of national landscape of news deserts and news opportunities. Yeah, I, I just want to say about news deserts, um, I think that um, news deserts, some, some they're, they're pe communities of color in big cities have, have, long, have long felt ignored and um, felt that they, their issues, um, they lived in news deserts, the issues for their communities. Um, black communities, let me be clear, black communities, Latin communities, um, Asian American communities, immigrant communities. Um, you know, in Akron, um, the, the growth in Akron, new residents, um, there is a small but growing population of Bhutanese residents. Um, they were essential workers. Um, they um, 
um, have, have they're, they're, it's growing. It's, it's been growing since about 2007. Um, and uh, is there necessarily a source serving them? You know, one might argue that there is not. Um, I, certainly news deserts are in uh, rural communities as well. Um, you, you will hear that repeatedly. Um, and, I, and I do think um, John really does identify um, a real challenge about, yes, newspapers largely existed where there was wealth to support them. Um, we're, you know, we're trying to get at that. We're trying to bring more people into the tent to think about um, what happens when people are left behind with good information. Um, that's, a, that, that's a major challenge. Um, um, Knight Foundation is trying to get um, other, others to, to join that. Um, and I want to say, too, there, you know, there's some interesting models. In Akron, there's an organization called the Devil Strip, and the Devil, Devil Strip is doing a co-op model for news and information. And you know, the leader of that, Chris Horn, he um, you know, challenged the University of Akron and he did tons of public records requests to make sure that the president was the president of the university, um, you know, questioning this, the spending habits of the president of the university. Um, you know, at the same time, too, the, 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 the Devil Strip just reports good news stories as well, you know, something also that's missing from journalism. So uh, just a, a, a good news story here, too, in emerging media that uh, one of our listeners has shared. I'm wondering if any either of you have come across the work of Andrew Wilkinson in Victoria, Canada. Um, his, his, uh, his, the, what, I've been, what I've received here is that fed up with poor local news coverage in his town of Victoria, B.C., Andrew started a local news outlet, Capital Daily, a newsletter covering the city of Victoria with 40,000 subscribers in a city of 200,000. He has a bigger audience than the local newspaper. There you go. So if you're um, you if you're watching online, you can see our, our guests nodding. And if you're listening, I've just explained that. Um, so, uh, Karen, I want to come back to you about that question of engagement. I didn't give you a chance to, to finish your response before. How do you measure how how are your grantees measuring engagement, measuring success? Um. So I think there are a number of different ways. There's um, a fabulous organization out of Philadelphia, Resolve Philly. Um, they bring together multiple organizations within Philadelphia. Um, um, the, the first project they did was, um, I think it was, um, it was in the teens, like maybe 17 organizations that they brought together. And they reported on one single civic topic for the year. All these organizations were committed to that. So depending on an organization's strength, some there was um, you know um, a public radio station um, that did um, great engagement efforts. Um, it, it sometimes it was a live event that was their strength. Sometimes um, it is um, just um, it is it could be listeners. It could be the live event. Um, we're always measuring diversity of audience. We want to see that all all kinds of people from a race perspective, from an ethnic perspective, from a socioeconomic perspective, are, are hearing and consuming. And, and also, too, journalism always measures, um, always measures, um, was there a policy change? Was, um, did, did this drive conversation by the mayor or other city officials? So those, kind, those, are, those are some of the ways that we look at it. Here's a question from the executive director of a nonprofit that publishes a monthly in-print community newspaper on a citizen journalism model for two inner ring suburbs in Cleveland and a weekly e-news newsletter for the same. John Thornton, what are your thoughts about the future of print media versus exclusively online? 
Well, the, the economics of print are bad, um, full stop. The, the, the fact is, though, that um, particularly in a, in a place like Cleveland where there is such an uh, enormous digital divide and, and broadband access is, is not a, a given, print needs to have a life just like uh, the text messaging platform at, at Outlier needs to have a life. Uh, there, there are people in the business far smarter than I am that uh, would would tell you that that print is not going anywhere. That print is always going to have um, a, a place, and 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 that's that's hard to argue with. But it's also hard to argue, I think, that that in terms of the the bulk of the resources that are going to be committed in the next ten years, it it needs to be uh, on 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 digital uh, uh, platforms. And that, that relates to the, the, the question that the, the, the listener just before asked about measurability and accountability. I, I, I would submit that in the short term, the measurability of this stuff is really, really hard. It's, it's very, very difficult to say, okay, if you're a grant maker, I gave a million bucks or I gave a thousand dollars. 12 months ago, and so what have you done with it? Because the part, of, part of the function of uh, a, a local independent press is uh, a defensive and kind of a prophylactic function. And so, so you, you, one of my friends says that the, the Pulitzer that will never get issued but should is for the story entitled Nothing Terrible Happened at City Hall Today Because We Were There. And so... so we just take as a given that there's a level of sort of um, minimum viable journalism to steal a tech term that everybody needs, coverage that everybody needs, every city hall ought to be covered. And even if it's an audience of only decision makers, uh, we, we think that's table stakes. We think that's table stakes for democracy. And so, so we're in a funny spot at American Journalism Project because we're both a grant maker and a, and a, uh, and a grant taker. I personally, having done this for 12 or 13 years, am, am, am sometimes pretty impatient with the, the need to um, say, what did, you know, what did one of our grantees do this quarter or this year? Because if you're in this field, you better believe that this is just foundational. And if you don't, uh, go give your money to something else. Karen Runlet, a specific question about the the work of the documenters. So many aspects of public meetings involve understanding of government processes, contracts, budgets, reimbursements, and so forth. Many prized local journalists have built their careers by making the complex more digestible, and they have they come with institutional knowledge that they've developed over time. Is there concern? about that institutional knowledge being lost as we adopt or adapt with these new models? Um, is there concern? Um, I think that, look, the, the documenters um, works with the Reporters Committee, Freedom of the Press. Um, they're trying to bring some of this journalism and news literacy back to the public and share with the public and also find journalists, frankly, of diverse backgrounds. Um, some of the documenters may end up become, becoming working journalists for, and representing their communities. Um, 
sure, we're losing something um, as we lose newspapers. So, um, and I, you know, John touched on this before. Um, uh, newspapers are increasingly owned by across the country. The the, the print product, a lot of um, sort of the largest newspaper chains are increasingly owned by owners that are more interested in uh, you know profits than in the civic health of a community. Um, and so that doesn't bode well for sort of the, the, the mission, the mission oriented work that local newspapers brought, um, um, brought to communities, you know, at Knight Foundation, we're really concerned about the future of local news. And um, I, 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 I challenge everyone listening. Um, if you have a young person in your life, whether it be a, a, a child or someone you work with, Think about where they're getting their news and information. Are they getting up every morning and reading a newspaper or are they seeing an alert on their phone and then Googling to find a source or are they or, or, or are they looking at social media and coming across something and just and just assuming that it's true? I, I, I think we have to we have to go to that place as well. I want to put together a couple of questions that are related, which is what do you both see as the role of legacy media institutions, whether they are the public radio station in whose studios I'm sitting right now, or the uh, a community newspaper that has quietly been serving its small neighborhood community for decades um, and may need assistance kind of getting to the next getting to the next level and, and creating a, a model for delivery of service in this new era. John Thornton, can we start with you? Sure. Uh, the the way and we're focused on nonprofit news organizations, which is very much not to say that that's that's the only model. And at the moment, we're also not focused on public media, which is very much not to say that that's that's not an important model. I think the way we think about it is the the, the closer an organization is to entirely mission driven as opposed to profit driven, that puts them on the side of the angels they they become part of the solution, not the problem, and, and we want to help them in any way we can. If you think about public radio particularly, um, in, in, in my mind, the stock of that institution has gone nothing but up over the last six months as the, the as, as we talked about, as the number of, as, as news, as news, as the notion of a news desert becomes more the rule than an exception, public radio has an extraordinary asset in its reach to 99% of the country. So we need to, uh, you know, we, we need to enable that in whatever way we can, because I think the crux, and this goes back to your question about the general public, I think the crux of the problem that we're trying to address is we want to get more resources focused on news gathering and knowledge creation that is original and that takes human beings whether they are uh, Columbia uh, journalism school graduates or they are uh, uh, you know 19 year olds in the documentaries program personally what I'm looking for out of this is I, I want a, a cadre of people I want a core of folks who have my back as a citizen and who are really trying to help me do my job as a good neighbor, as a, as a, um, uh, as, as a citizen of my community. And I, I think what we're, what we're feeling is that we got to get more and more open-minded to 
what having our back looks like from a credential standpoint or from a from an organizational structure standpoint. I'm I'm less concerned about that stuff. I just want to know that there is a growing number of professionals and in some cases part-timers out there who are helping each of us ask the questions that we don't know to ask on our own and and hold to accounting institutions that we can't do on our own and bring uh, services, uh, uh, just meet basic information needs that I, I can't meet on my own because I don't have the knowledge or I don't have the time. Karen Runlet, what about the small community newspapers that have been serving their, their neighbors for decades? I mean, I think they're very important. I, I, I think that... Um, Look, I think you have to know your audience, and I also think you have to think about how you're going to fund it. So I think that, look, I, I, I think that um, there are a lot of, there's a lot of very noble work that's been done, and um, there are a lot of journalists, and I'm, you know, I, I can't speak to every, there, there are many um, hyper-local and small publishers across the country, but um, what, is the, what is the business case? What is the value? Um, are you sharing that value um, with, with your community? Are you arguing for it? Are you advocating for it? Are you telling that story? Look, I think that they have, um, depending on the relationships they have and then the success that they, they've had, they, they could be partnering with other organizations. Um, we've seen that um, in a number of instances to, to be louder and more important and more effective. So a, a collaboration with another organization might be, may, might be the way to go. Um, a lot of what we're talking about relies on uh, you know, digital platforms and there's a huge digital divide in many cities. Cleveland is among them. Uh, without reserving a budget for print, this listener asks, do we leave behind those on the wrong side of the digital divide or is there a better way to reach residents? And I'm thinking in particular of elderly residents who may not be yeah. may not be as have the facility with um, with digital devices. And Karen Runlin. So I think um, first of all, on the digital divide, there are a lot of um, public, private, um, and philanthropic partnerships going on. Um, I know in Minnesota, for instance, Best Buy is headquartered there. Um, they did a lot of work in that area. Um, around connectivity and um, Microsoft came in and sort of used their map and used their best practices and sort of um, did went deeper. I know that T-Mobile has done work in, in Cleveland as well. Um, look, we're all home right now. So um, I think that it's more urgent that we address that, first of all. And look, no, you don't want to, look, I, who's gonna get on this program and say they wanna leave somebody behind? No one. That's foolish to even say that, okay? But getting to sort of solving that is very, diff um, it, it is very difficult and it is very challenging. But I, I, I think, you know, we talked about outlier media before, really identifying that people receive their inf information through their phones and, and through digital. I think, I think that's critical. And I, I, I do know that the, connect the connectivity issues in Cleveland um, are um, really um, troubling and a challenge for, the, for a very large city. Um, so I, I do think in a time when we're all home and we're receiving our information in our homes, I, I do think that's critical. John Thornton, Texas Tribune was uh, launched um, through you know your benevolence in many ways and with millions. It started with with a, a, a lot of capital, 
and what the, a lot of the other models that we're talking about today are, you know, in the tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands kind of range. What does that tell us? Well, it, it tells us that there's a lot of good to be done in, in a lot of different ways. I, I think our mission has become more and more clear in the sense that what we're trying to do is, is clear as many obstacles as we can to make news gathering in small or less well-resourced markets as, as cheap as it can be and as efficient as it can be. And so we're always looking for ways to drive down the barriers between somebody like the guy uh, in Canada and, and going out and, and, and starting something to, to, uh, to serve his community. I think the, the, the silver lining, if you will, and this also associates with the question about, about print, is when you're in a situation where you're kind of starting from scratch and we're all together feeling this out um, um, as, as, a, as a community, as a, as a country, the trade-offs that have been historically made between equity and sort of commercial viability, we get to start over again on those. And so we, we get to make, because commercial viability is gone, and so what we're talking about is economic sustainability with philanthropy as a part of the picture. And so now we get to make equity and economic sustainability co-equal goals mm -hmm. where that just hasn't been the case for many, many years. John, we received this question, what advice would you give a family foundation to get started funding this type of initiative? And I want to give you a chance. There are philanthropists and people who want to make a contribution. Um, how do they do that? What do they do? How do they get started? And how can they make sure something will happen with their dollars here in greater Cleveland? Have I got a deal for you? No. Um, the, the, in, in Cleveland, I, I will tell you that one of the reasons we're really excited about uh, playing a part in this community is there is so two two reasons, really. There's so much I need you to be, energy. I need you to be brief, though. Yep. Um, uh, call uh, Michael Murphy at the, at the Cleveland Foundation. Okay, just do that. Do that. Mm -hmm. Okay, just call Michael Murphy. That was very brief. Um, Karen Runlet, you've been uh, you've been using philanthropy as a tool for social change here for a while. Um, can you? I'd like to ask ask you the same question. What do you think? How should family foundations and others be thinking about this? Um, I'm going to second plus one call Michael Murphy, but I will also say too that. Um, Knight and the Cleveland Foundation did do an information needs assessment, which is, those are a lot of sort of big words to say. Um, we figured out um, who was left out, who was being served, who was being overserved. Um, you know, um, pick the place where you want to make the most impact. And uh, I should say, too, that if you're listening, the City Club is here to help you get in touch with whoever you need to get in touch with. Karen Runlett of the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, John Thornton of the American Journalism Project and the Texas Tribune. I can't thank you enough for your, your leadership and your vision and for sharing the stories of how journalism is changing today. Thank you for joining us. Thanks thank so you for having us. Karen and John have been our guests for your City Club Friday Forum. And I want to thank you for joining us as well. Today's forum is the Robert D. Grease 
keynote lecture, which closes out Cleveland Foundation's annual meeting week. You can find out more about Cleveland Foundation and the Cleveland Foundation annual meeting week at clevelandfoundation.org. Big thanks, too, to our member sponsors and donors and many others who support our mission to create conversations of consequence that help democracy thrive. You can find out more about them and join them at cityclub.org slash thank you. On Friday, September 11th, we'll feature a forum on the Save Our Stages movement, which is fighting to provide resources to live entertainment and performance spaces during the pandemic and to make sure they're there beyond. So I hope you'll join us for that. And if you missed a forum and you want to catch up, check out our archives at cityclub.org. You can find Ronald Reagan from 1988 or Bobby Kennedy from 1968. I'm Dan Malthrop. Please stay strong, stay healthy. Please wash your hands, keep your distance, and please wear a mask, and thank you for doing so. And please stay close in your hearts if you can't be close in person. Our forum is now adjourned. For information on upcoming speakers or for podcasts of the City Club, go to cityclub.org. Production and distribution of City Club forums on IdeaStream are made possible by the generous support of PNC, the Chautauqua Institution, and the United Black Fund of Greater Cleveland Incorporated.